<clears throat> All right, well, we're going to begin by singing together, and uh, we don't have to do it a cappella today. We're going to do it to a track, so let's see how that goes. Thou wilt. 
Well, in case you haven't noticed, things look a little differently today than they did last week. Um, you know, instead of being set up in rows of chairs, we're here in couches. It's much more like a living room. Um, instead of having more of a worship service, though we did sing a song, we're keeping that sort of to a minimum. There's, uh, there's no Lord's Supper. And, uh, and much to my chagrin, there's no sermon. Um, as I labored to prepare, uh, I really wanted to, to write an expository sermon on Nehemiah, uh, which would be able to cover our vision, mission, and goals for our church. But I found in the process, maybe it's because I'm not a good enough preacher, or, you know, or I don't know what the deal is, but I really, though I could explain the concepts behind vision, mission, and goals from the text, I really didn't feel like we could spend enough time in our own personal vision, mission, goals. And so I really wanted to focus in what were, what's Redeemer's vision? What's Redeemer's goal? What, what are we striving for together? And so instead, we're just going to look at Nehemiah as a biblical example of that. But uh, in order to satisfy my expositional desire, I'm going to exposit our vision, mission, and goals. So, you know, I still get to, to do that. Um, but uh, this will be more of a teaching time. It'll, it'll have a bit more dialogue. I'll ask some questions. I'll give you guys time uh, to ask questions and uh, add any comments that you might have. But I really want to to set the course for our church. And and so that's what we're going to do. But uh, before we begin, let's go ahead and pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we we are delighted to be in Your presence once again. Not that we're ever apart from it, but Lord, we pray that that You might make Your presence known today as as we discuss what You have laid on our hearts. God, we pray that our vision, our mission, our goals, they will be of You. They will be for You. They will give You glory. Lord, we pray that this will be a time that that You will increase within us an intense burden to see these things lived out. That You would create within us a, a strong sense of unity and cooperation in fulfilling the mission that You have given to us. And may you be exalted through your Son by the power of your Spirit. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. So, uh, vision. I'm just going to start out by posing the question, what is vision? Yeah. That's what I was 
I think that's good. Uh, the definition that uh, I kind of came up with is um, an image of the future we seek to create. It's something that we hope that God has laid on our hearts, and we seek to 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 bring that about through uh, by the power and grace that He has given us. Um, another way of looking at it is it's the what that we're striving towards. It's our desired destination. Um, so our vision is what we seek to be, what as a church, what what where we're trying to go. Um, and so a vision statement then flows out of our overall vision, and it serves as a means to communicate the what that God has called us to become as a church. Um, so why is this important? Why is it important for a church to have vision? Yeah. It helps you build into the very foundations of your church what you're going to be about. It builds into the very beginning what we're gathered to do. Mm-hmm. Any other thoughts on that? I think those are really good. Um, I came up with three answers to this question. Uh, first, it focuses our energy around a shared objective. You know, we, we have this, this plan in mind that God has laid on our hearts, and it serves to, um, to align all of us around that, that same shared objective. Because otherwise, you and I might have a very different picture of what God has called us to do, and we spend our time, we spend our energy, our, our, we labor hard at fulfilling those things, but they're very disorganized. You know, sort of a scattershot, and, and then we're not able to to completely accomplish what the Lord has, has set for us to do. Um, second, I pray that it intensifies our burden to see that vision fulfilled. You know, it's if we don't communicate our vision, what God has laid on our hearts, how will we ever know whether it's shared or not? And by continuing to bring it forward, to make it clear to let it be known, and to focus our, our energy on it, Lord willing, it will increase our burden to see that happen. And then third, it directs our efforts around a succinct summary of Scripture. Um, I think this is one of the ways that we might differ from a lot of vision statements. We, uh, we as elders, we wanted to labor hard to write a vision statement that we thought was very, very biblical. Um, you know, it's churches often have vision statements that are set around in X number of years. Maybe it'd be five or ten or whatever. And it's usually focused on, well, how many people do we hope to have coming? Or, you know, how many community groups are we going to have? Or what, what types of ministries are we going to have in place? And it's a lot about program rather than really about what God is doing in the hearts of people. And so we wanted to be very careful that our initial vision would be, would be very scriptural, and we f- wanted to focus our efforts around God's vision for the universal church. Uh, and so you know, we want to be about what God's doing. You know, and, and the only way we can do that is we can make sure that our vision is God's vision. Um, 
That doesn't mean then that we won't set goals or milestones. It doesn't mean that we don't have a strategy or that we have specific ministries that we want to see happen. But as much as possible, we want our mission, vision, goals, to, and our desired destination to be God's design and not man's. Um, and so, a biblical example uh, we have of that is Nehemiah. Uh, you know, there are a number of examples in Scripture. I think of like Abraham would be another great example that we could have looked like at for someone having vision. But I think that, that Nehemiah captures it well. So hopefully you all uh, were able to read that this week. If not, we'll, we'll be able to look in, into it a little bit here. Um, so please turn to Nehemiah chapter 1. And if someone's willing, could they go ahead and read that, that chapter? on Keith. Uh, yeah. I'm a Cubs so I'm, I'm a Cubs. I'm slightly a Cubs fan, so pretty soon I'll be out of here. <laughs> I think that makes three. I'll read. I'll be glad to read. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Uh, now it happened in the month of Chislev, in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the capital, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, The remnant there in the province who have survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and the gate and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept, and mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying for the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be intensive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant. And I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you, even I and my father's house of sin. We've acted very corruptly against you, and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me, keep my commandments and do them. Though your out though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen, to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people, whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servants, and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name, and give success to your servant today, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was cupbearer to the king. So, what was the vision that Nehemiah had? Yeah. So I guess the restoration of Jerusalem really is what 
Mm-hmm. That's right, yeah. Nehemiah wanted to see Israel restored to God. In verses 5 and 6, he calls God to remember His covenant. In verse 8, he calls God to remember His promise to Moses. And that in verse 10, that they are His people. And why, ultimately, is Nehemiah so concerned about this? see God's name, God's glory be exalted because he knows that that the the future of the people has has bearing on God's name. God is would not be glorified as being a faithful God, a covenant God, a God who keeps his promises if he didn't restore his people. Um, you know, we see that throughout Nehemiah as he continues to call out to God um, we see that as he confesses the sin, uh, his sin and the sin of the people, and uh, and gets the people then to confess their sin and re-covenant themselves to God. Uh, he's hoping, um, he's hoping ultimately in the promises of, that he's heard from the prophets, from from prophets like Jeremiah and and Isaiah, that God would restore His people, that He would return them to the land, and uh, that He would rule over them. And so that they might be a blessing among the nations. Uh, so Nehemiah's vision was that his people, God's people, would be reconciled to God. And as I studied a little bit more about what vision is, uh, particularly from biblical examples like Nehemiah, there were a few characteristics that came out. The characteristics that I think encompass all visions, if they're truly to be from God, and were Ironically, even though we hadn't set them out ahead of time, were, were characteristics that we as elders, when we wrote the vision statement, were very, very concerned about. And so uh, the first one um, is a future orientation. We remember that Nehemiah sat in Susa and that he had a vision of a future of Jerusalem. So there's this future orientation there. Um, second is a centrality of proclamation. Nehemiah's vision would not be fulfilled if it were not made known. If he hadn't have gone before the king, it would not have been known. Had he not uh, rallied the people, in the Jews in Susa around this vision, they would not have returned to Jerusalem. When he got to Jerusalem, had he not told the people why he was there, they would not have taken part in rebuilding the wall. But I think ultimately and most clearly it's demonstrated in Ezekiel Earth. Sorry, Nehemiah 8, when Ezra reads the law. It was Ezra's reading the law that led people to repentance, to faithful worship, and to making a covenant with God in chapters 9 and 10. And so if you would flip over to chapter 8, we're going to look at verses 9 through 12. Ezra's just finished reading the law. It says, And Nehemiah, 
who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to the Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. So it was all a matter of the centrality of proclamation that, that actually served as the instrument of, of, of really bringing these people back to restoration to God. It wasn't just that they were back in the land or that they had a wall built around them. It was because they had restored themselves by repentance and faith to God. And so, centrality of proclamation is one of those characteristics of vision. Um, third, the necessity of transformation. Now, throughout the book of, of Nehemiah, we see, we see God's kindness in not forgetting His people. We see uh, God returning them to the land, uh, protecting them from their enemies, giving them fruit in all their labors, giving them the gift of the Word, um, and the, and that restoration, you know, God ultimately caused that restoration, um, and it led the people to repent, to respond in worship. And it's, um, but we, we we can't make any mistake about it. They, I don't think we could fully say that they were God's people until repentance and worship had been restored. They they required transformation. Um, in in Jeremiah 24-7, God says to the prophet Jeremiah, I will give them a heart to know that I am the Lord, and they shall be my portion, and I will be their God. For they shall return to me with their whole hearts. He says, I'm going to give them a heart that they might know me, and then they shall be my people, and I will be their God. And, uh, <clears throat> and he says, because... Because they will be my people and I will be their God. Because they will return to me. Transformation happening. Um, with their whole hearts. With the hearts that God has given them. Anybody hear all that? <laughs> okay, good. So it was, it was all a matter of transformation. And God then was glorified in the process. Both in His mercy and His uprightness. Um, so that's the third characteristic. The fourth one we see is for the purpose of exaltation. God's purpose in transformation is that we might exalt Him, that we might praise Him, that we might give Him glory. Uh, Nehemiah 9.5, if you want to flip over there real quick. It says, Then all these people said, Stand and bless the Lord your God from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. What's that? <laughs> that was my my summary of yeah. Was, yeah. <laughs> it's funny to say it that way. Why is he? I know. Uh, where, I know. Where, where, where you from? <laughs> well, I only wanted to read the second half. He's you know. Got it more I do. Have, <laughs> yeah, I do. Yeah. That's right. So 
all of this was for the purpose of exaltation, that God might be glorified. And then the fifth characteristic we see about vision is the hope of reconciliation. Nehemiah's vision was all about uh, this hope that God would restore his people, that the people would once again be united with God, that Nehemiah uh, saw a glimpse of that when the walls were completed, when the covenant was restored. Um, and, and, and this was a glorious thing. They, they were reconciled to God. But he just saw a glimpse of it. So uh, these are the characteristics that we wanted to have be a part of our vision statement. The future orientation, centrality of proclamation, the necessity of transformation, the purpose of exaltation, and the hope of reconciliation. Yet, unlike Nehemiah, we have uh, a much greater vision than he was able to receive. I mean, he, he did see the city restored. He did see the people uh, return to God. But we have something greater because we see it as fulfilled in Christ. Um, you know, one day, Christ will return. One day, every knee will bow and proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord. One day, transformation of those who trust in Christ will be complete, and God will glorify His people. Uh, One day, we will gather with the saints and praise the Lord in, in His temple, in heaven, with God. And one day, we will see Jesus face to face. Like Adam and Eve in the garden, we will be able to walk with God because we have been reconciled to Him. That's our ultimate, that's the ultimate vision that we could have. And so, just to catch another glimpse of this, I'd like for you to turn to Revelation 21. This is one passage that came up as we were talking about our vision statement. And one that we wanted to to sort of be reflected in what we wrote. So, um, if I can have one person read Revelation 21, 1-8 and a Second person, read Revelation 21, verses 22 through chapter 22, verse 5. And then you got 1 through 8. Somebody have the second passage? I'll do the second one. Okay. And then if someone would finish chapter 22, 6 through 21. Okay. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with men. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the springs of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in a lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death.
Let me read. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> and I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamb, lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the king, kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb Book of Life. Could you continue 22 through uh, verse 5? In chapter 22 through verse 5. Oh, I'm sorry. That's okay. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. And he said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the word, the words of this prophecy in this book. I, John, the one who heard and saw these things, when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. When he said to me, You must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, Do not seal up the words of this prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoers still do evil, let the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still be right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay everyone for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes, so that they might have the right to the tree of life, and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are, outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things from the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, Come. And let the one who hears say, Come. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I want everyone who hears the words of the prophecy in this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this book of, of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this book. He who testifies these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. So we wanted these two chapters to be a scriptural lens uh, that we look through, that we think about when we think about the vision of Redeemer. 
Um, and so, here's what we came up with. Because we exist to exalt Christ, and we're just going to look at this bit by bit, um, this is ultimately our purpose. This is, this is why we are here. This is why we are starting this new work here in Champaign-Urbana. It's why we, we even named it Redeemer Church. We wanted to be clear what we're about. We're here to exalt Christ. That's our ultimate goal. This is what we're about. And, you know, this is, we've seen in, in, in Revelation 21 and 22, this is, it's both now and forevermore. You know? That, that's it. That's, that is the purpose for every believer. And so, we thought it only fitting to be ours as well. Because we exist to exalt Christ, we strive then to see lives transformed. We know that that the exaltation of Christ can only happen as people are brought from death to life, as they repent of their sin and turn to God, and to live in faith. And so we want to see God use our labors to bring about transformation, that, that we want to see people living for Christ. And this is going to dictate the way we do things. We have transformation in mind. So... You know, as, as as valuable as it is to have certain programs that are sort of morally upright, you know, are good, wholesome things to do, that's not ultimately what we're about. We're about transformation. We're about seeing lives change. We want to we want to focus our energy and attention on this. And so, some things we just won't do. As fun as they might be, you know, we're we're just not about programs. We're about people. I keep wanting to point this at the screen. (laughs) It's not working. (laughs) Because we exist to exalt Christ, we strive to see lives transformed to the glory of God. We recognize that God transforms people and that He changes lives for His own glory. This is not... uh, It's not about bringing glory to ourselves or our church. It's not about changing people's minds so that they think the way we think. You know, it's not about it's not an opinion changer. We're not we're not trying to get them to vote a certain way when it comes to elections. We're trying to get them to live their lives to the glory of God as we are living our lives to the glory of God. We want to see him glorified. This is this church is built for God's glory. Through the proclamation of the gospel. We see this as the central means from which God is glorified. That Christ is exalted. You know, so um, you, what we want to be about, what, what we want to be a part of everything we do, whether it be our, our children's ministry, junior high, you know, all the way throughout, women's ministry, men's ministry, we want to have the word being proclaimed as, a, as an aspect of that because we think it's that important, because it's that that's going to lead to transformation. And by the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is, we added this as a dose of reality, that we know that all the proclamation, all our efforts, everything that we do means nothing if the Holy Spirit is not empowering us to do that and is not convicting others, that is not illumining minds so that they can see and hear and, and receive Christ. Um, and also, you know, it's just a good, it rounds out our picture of who God is, that God is a, 
is a triune God. We see Christ, we see God, and now we see the Holy Spirit. And so those are, um, we felt like it was necessary for us to, to make all those things uh, be in place. And that we might be reminded of our dependence upon the Holy Spirit. To all peoples. You know, we, as as great as it, or noble as it is to, to labor, to create a body in this specific area to meet a specific need here in Champaign-Urbana, uh, that's, that's not simply what we're about. We are about seeing the, the Great Commission live out. We are about seeing nations be transformed. We want to see, as it said here in, in, um, in Revelation 21, they will bring glory. Um, they will bring it into glory and honor, uh, and the honor of the nations. This is this is. It's about God creating for Himself a, a people from every tongue, tribe, and nation, and, and we want to be a part of that as well. And the great thing is, this city provides opportunities that are just outside our front door. Mm-hmm. You know, there are across the street. There, there are about 6,000 international students just right across that street. You know, it, within within Champaign-Urbana, there are over 24,000 internationals. Huge population of Asians, huge population of Hispanics. And so we can, we can actually fulfill the Great Commission without ever leaving town. It's amazing. It's a great opportunity. I mean, we have, you know, Jim mentioned the opportunity on Thursday night that we have with these these uh, students from the United Arab Emirates, they're going to be coming here and they need somebody just to help them get acclimated to, to life here. That's a real tangible way that we can live this out. We can do English as second language. You, just, you name it. Um, but we need to be involved. We need to be intentional. And we wanted that to be um, a central part of our vision. So this is it. Uh, because we exist to exalt Christ, we strive to see lives transformed to the glory of God through the proclamation of the gospel by the power of, of the Holy Spirit to all peoples. And we pray that God will be glorified in it. So that's our vision. And you guys, you, do you all have any, any thoughts, any questions? Anything behind me that I can sit on? I guess my question isn't really about the you know, technical aspects of the vision, but I guess my question and is is for us as a team. You know, is that a vision that we can all buy into and share? You know, it, it, that that's the well, that's the million dollar question for us because you know. If, it's, if that's not the vision that we can all buy into, you know, commit to and share as Redeemer Church, then, you know, it's, then it's not going to be our vision. Yeah. It's, not, it's, it's, it's just going to be some words on, on, on the screen or on a piece of paper or a bookmark or, I don't know, or your screensaver. So I think that's the real question. I think it's an excellent statement, you know, because it does, I mean, in, in life's transform, 
the hard thing with that, I think, is sometimes we want to see immediate results. You know, and I think it rarely happens that way. You know, like when Saul, you know, had the on the road to Damascus, you know, and turned to Paul. I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but I think it's it's a slower process than we want it to be. And um, I've just like I've used the analogy for a long time of being a Christian or whatever, and like of an orchestra, and God is the director. Now, everybody may have a solo here and there, but without all the other instruments, the piece doesn't all come together. You know, and so that's why we have God directing us. And I think a lot of times we plant many, many seeds, but we don't see the fruition. But those seeds are just as important as something may happen down the road. And I think, for me, it, it gets frustrating because I want to see that change now. I think that one of the things we need to do when we meditate upon this, we realize that the first lives we see transform the glory of God are our lives. Mm -hmm. That we're not done being transformed, but that's a continual process under the Lord. Because we're all still sinners. Mm -hmm. You know, and we're going we're gonna to have bad thoughts, do bad things, or, you know. I get behind it. Good, I'm glad to hear. Again, I mean, I think this is an extremely biblical statement. And I don't say this pridefully, but it's I think it's one of the most biblical church vision statements I've ever seen. And uh, I'm just grateful that uh, that these guys were so involved. Yeah, you know, it might it might be kind of helpful, Chet, to just give a little and I know that, you know, we got a lot to of ground to cover today, but it might be helpful for everybody to hear kind of how this came about at our elders retreat. You know, when we first started talking about vision mission, not, we couldn't agree on anything. Oh man! Oh my gosh! We couldn't even agree on what a vision statement was, what a mission statement was. So one person had one idea. So, uh, you know, I, I had a different idea. Chet and I did not agree mm -hmm. on, on on what vision and mission statements were, and uh, you know, that was just. Weird and uncomfortable because Chet and I are normally very agreeable. Yeah. Uh, and and I was just thinking to myself, oh my gosh, how are we gonna, how's this ever gonna get done? And then and then all of a sudden, the light went on for everybody, and we in a you know. Almost spooky, eerie kind of way. We're in full agreement, and this vision statement came almost in an instant. And we actually started finishing each other's sentences. And the bottom line is, you know, there was this very discernible, uh, clearly discernible leadership uh, of God through the Holy Spirit in the writing of that vision statement. Because we went from not even being able to agree on what a vision statement was to that in moments. Yeah. And yeah. It, was, it was really cool. And 
it was it was ex- it was very cool. And it was, you know, yes, almost sort of in like Shyamalanish. It <laughs> <laughs> was stuff like that too. You know, I think a lot of ego gets in there. And um, I was taught a long time ago that ego stands for easy got out. So, yeah, it, it was it was great. It was a real blessing, and, and I'm excited. And it you know it's removed of all particulars. It's removed of any man-made agenda. You know, there's you look at that, you can't see. Okay, we're looking at there's there are no numbers up there. There's no specifics as far as what ministry is going to look like. We don't paint such a detailed picture that when we get to that time, whatever we set five years from now. And we don't see everything fulfilled like we had planned for it to be fulfilled. That we're somehow discouraged. This is left uh, completely up to God. It's it's in His time. It's dependent upon Him. And I, I think this is the way it should be. So uh, let me put my battery back in here. Note to self: Don't play with this anymore. <laughs> I think it's really good. So being an old card. <laughs> well, if there are no other comments or questions about it, we should uh, we should move on quickly. Yeah. Um, the next thing, mission. What is mission? We've we've covered vision. What is mission? that question. What are we supposed to be doing to get to our destination? It's the how of the what. If the what is our desired destination, how is what are we doing to get there? Like, what what trajectory are we following? I mean, what what things need to be done uh, to get there? Um, practically, is just like Jim said, it's what you're doing today to reach your vision. So again, why is this important? Well, if nobody shares the mission, nobody's going to be in chaos. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it, it focuses our energy on action. Yeah. It's action-oriented. Yeah. I mean, we can have this great vision of where we think we ought to go, but no one's doing anything to get us there. What's the point? It means little or nothing. So, yeah. Uh, these are a few things that I came up with. It dictates our direction, focuses our function. It provides a guideline for our decision-making and inspires unity. Because, again, you know, we if we have this mission laid out before us, we're, we're going to, if we decide, okay, do we focus our attention here? Do we focus our attention there? We look at our mission statement. What is our mission statement? And that's going to help us to make that decision. And hopefully we'll, we'll be unified around it. Um, and then 
You know, again, it shapes our strategy. And here's a big one. It gives us opportunity for evaluation. Vision, it's a little bit har- harder to evaluate because it's so future-oriented. But this is much more tangible. It's much more practical. And we can, we can look at this and say, look, you know, we're not doing what we need to be doing in order to see our vision come to a reality. So, a biblical example. Again, flip back to Nehemiah, chapter 2. Two, one through six, it says, uh, In the month of Nisan, in the twentieth year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, Why is your face sad, seeing you are not um, seeing that you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of heart. Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, Let the king live forever. Why should I be sad? When the city, um, why should I, my face, sorry, why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, What are you requesting? So I prayed to God of heaven, and I said to the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, How long will you be gone, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me, and when I had uh, when I had given him a time. So what was Nehemiah's mission then? That's exactly right. In order for him to to facilitate this vision of restoring the people to God, it required something tangible, that they rebuild the city. So that was his mission. Um, And so, again, there are general characteristics of mission that we can see that I think, again, are exhibited in every mission um, that God would call us to. First one. It's clearly practical. It's something that we do. Uh, for Nehemiah, you know, um, his, his mission was to rebuild the city. He had a purpose, a plan. He had specific goals, milestones, an end. It was very, very practical. Two, it's continual. Nehemiah's vision was worked toward daily. From the time where he, well, even before he spoke to the king, as he was praying, as he knew that God had laid this vision on his heart, God was he was acting upon that vision. Whether it be, you know, to, to speak to the king, to, to lead the people back to Jerusalem, or to build the walls, he was laboring. And you know, it's just like just like if our desired destination was to go to Pittsburgh, you know, I mean we have that vision in mind, that, that desired destination. Well, how we get there is that we get in our car and each moment from here until we actually arrive, is spent driving that car according to the directions that are laid forth to get us there. So, so what you're saying is mission is like Garmin. Yeah. Like what? Garmin. Garmin. 
Garmin is mission. Yeah, there you go. That's yeah. how I get to Pittsburgh twice. Garmin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So again, it starts today with with sort of continual outworking. Third, you know, it's tangible. Nehemiah could see the results of his labor. You know, when the wall was built, there it was. I mean, it, it was it was uh, verifiable, and then he could evaluate the them in the process. When when they became under attack, do you remember what happened? You know, he, he was able to, to stop progress, evaluate, and say, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to work with one sword, a sword in one hand, and we're just going to be working. I can imagine what that would be like, but again, they had that opportunity to evaluate and to adjust and to see um, in order to see that, that vision come to reality. And the fourth, it's redemptive. You know, Nehemiah's vision, his mission worked towards his vision of a, a restored Israel and, and the people being reconciled to God. And so again, these are the four elements, the four characteristics that we wanted to have be a part of our mission statement. That it would be practical, that it would be continual, tangible, and redemptive. And we wanted ultimately our mission to fulfill the Great Commission, right? I mean, how do you get a how can you do mission without, you know, the Great Commission? I, I don't know. Uh, Matthew 28, 18-20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, to the end of the age. Practically, you know, they're to make disciples as they go, as they teach, as they baptize. So they, they know that that's there. Uh, continually, you know, they labor towards this today, every day, until the end of the age. Um, tangibly, you know, they could see the fruit because God was bringing many sons and daughters to glory. You know, as people become disciples, disciples become followers of Christ, um, that's something that, that is visible. And obviously it's clearly redemptive in that they are becoming disciples of Christ. Um, and so for our vision statement, our mission statement, our mission at Redeemer Church is to build. And I wanted to stop there to highlight build because it's something that we labor towards. I mean, we're going to sweat. We're going to plan. We're going to work. It's going to be hard, but it's something that we need to be intentional about. You know, a building, a builder doesn't set to, to build a house until he's first made plans, until he's counted the cost, collected the materials. You know, so we must think strategically and deliberative, deliberatively, um, deliberately. Sorry, <laughs> thank you. In our mission. Um, And our desire is to build a redemptive community. These are two very, very important words to us. And in fact, they're you know, pretty much part of our core values. I mean, redemption is not one of them, but transformation is, and, and we mean redemption, but community is clearly one of them. Um, and redemption, when we say redemptive, we mean it in two ways. First, as much as is humanly possible, we want to make sure that every one of our members are truly believers. This is otherwise called regenerate church membership. 
So we're going to be intentional about taking time and evaluating folks. You know, we're just not kind of taking them at their word when they say, yeah, I accepted Christ. we got to, you know, examine that. I mean, to really see that there's fruit there. And that's part and parcel of guarding guarding the church, to making sure that wolves aren't coming in. That also includes church discipline if necessary. When we find that wolves are among us in a desire to protect our community, we're going to seek to uh, lovingly but truthfully um, excommunicate them if necessary so that they might be restored to faith. Um, And even with that, though, it it, it is... um, has to be done very carefully so that we don't end up judging people. You know, and that it doesn't come across as being judgmental. Yeah, sure. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, really where that comes into play is that we are gonna we're gonna carefully teach, we're gonna carefully evaluate, we're um, we're going to carefully minister. We want to know one another well. We want to have a true community. Because in reality, true community cannot exist if we're, we're intermingled believers with unbelievers. True community only exists among believers. And so we need to guard that. Um, and as a result of our being careful in this, there's actually more assurance of faith among the believers. So it's actually good. It's healthy for our church both to evaluate on the front end and evaluate later on if, if someone is not living according to their profession. Um, but secondly, we also want to be redemptive um, in that we work towards redemption, right? So we want to work towards redemption in our proclamation, in the way that we evangelize, that we share faith. We want to be very intentional about getting out there and, and proclaiming the gospel to those who don't know it. But also, we want to be redemptive in, in that we serve um, in such a way that it leads towards redemption. It leads towards restoration. Um, we want to be those who promote peace and better the world around us. In Colossians 19, 1.19-20, um, it tells us that God is in the habit of reconciling all things to Himself. Uh, it says, "For in Him, all the fullness of, in Him, Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. Through the blood of Christ, heaven and earth are being restored to God, and we want to be a part of that. So we want to we want to promote redemption as we see that lived out today." And then finally, our mission at Redeemer Church is to build a redemptive community of gospel-centered people. We ought to know, hopefully we know, that a church is not a building. It has nothing to do with a building. It is a gospel community. It is comprised of people. And and we we want to make sure that that the people that are, are part of Redeemer aren't just eking by. They aren't setting the bar so low that they have just enough faith to make it into heaven. We want to see them be gospel-centered. We want to see them love the gospel, cherish the gospel, tell others about the gospel, and apply it to every aspect of their lives. You know, uh, we want we want to see the gospel at the center of every person here, and that's what we're going to work towards. That's what we're trying to build. So, any. 
questions, comments, thoughts on our mission. The, the only question I have is the same one I had before. You know, again, and then we all have to ask ourselves, is this a mission that we can all support, buy into, and share? I'm not saying that I don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. See you later. <laughs> I think it's important to remember that everybody is different and how they may center their life around the gospel may not be exactly the same way that somebody else does it. But again, the the Bible is the standard for right. that. Right. Right. Um, but I mean, everybody has their own gifts, mm-hmm. you know, and how they can do that. Hopefully you see a lot of unity, a lot of cohesion between our vision statement and mission statements. Yeah, there's there's a lot there <laughs> that, that's just kind of packed in. Um, yeah. Any other any other thoughts before we kind of move on? Okay. Good deal. Hopefully we all can. But again, this is what we're laboring towards. You know, it's it's building a redemptive community of gospel-centered people. That's that's again, it's gonna that's gonna help us make decisions on what we focus on, what's a priority, you know, and what are some extra things. Goals of mission. Um, what are they? I'm just gonna answer this question. You know, goals or mission. Uh, as I see it, are, are areas of focus. Um, these are particular points that we think are vital to fulfill our mission. Um, it's essentially the where. Um, areas of importance that we need to give a particular attention to to fulfill our mission. Um, so we've kind of seen so far the, the vision is the what, the mission is the how, and now we're looking at the where. And, and this is um, again, I think that this is a very biblical thing. You know, with Nehemiah, his his mission was clearly to rebuild Jerusalem, but there was a lot of things that he had to focus on in addition to just the construction. Right? I mean, it's clear he had to assess the condition of the wall. You know, he had to make plans regarding the materials, the distribution of work, he had to organize the labor. That's all the construction side, but. In addition to that, you know, he had to he served as protector. You know, he had to seek protection as they traveled from Susa to Jerusalem, as well as against his enem- the enemies that they encountered in Israel. Nehemiah was a diplomat. He was administrator over other leaders. Uh, he was a historian over genealogy, a social worker over the care of the poor, and a spiritual leader of the people. Um, and each of these were were all areas of focus that Nehemiah had to give attention to if he was going to fulfill his mission. Question. How long did it take him to build the wall? I don't know. So, yeah. Um, So the goals of our mission 
at Redeemer Church, each of them begin with this phrase, we are committed to seeing redemption lived out. And the first one is in the home. As I see it, this is the biggest battleground that we are dealing with today. This is the point of Satan's attacks. That the home is, is, uh, is being questioned by our society about marriage, you know, same-sex marriage, you know, you, just, you name it. There are a lot of things, divorce, abortion. All these things are coming to the bear, and it's having its, um, its front line right there is, is the home. And we, we don't longer live in a quasi-Christian culture where people can assume certain things. We need to make things explicit. What does it look like for a man to be a godly husband, a godly father, a godly leader to his family? What does, what does a godly wife look like? What, what is a biblical marriage? What is biblical parenting? What does it look like to, uh, to be single or to court another person to the glory of God? These are all questions that, that we need to address um, and I think that are vitally important to God and the future of the church. Second, you know, we're committed to seeing redemption lived out in the community of believers, in the church. You know, our concern is to build up the church, that we may uh, be presented everyone mature in Christ. And so we're going to go deep. We're going to be concerned about everyone who's a member of the church. We're going to try not to to neglect and overlook or um, show favoritism to others. Uh, we're going to... We're, that's part of our, our covenant with one another. You know, that, that as we're covenanting to... Um, to you guys, as a as a church, it's to to train, to care for, to lead, um, to give opportunities to serve, to build a community. We're committed to seeing redemption lived out in the city, um, and we do this uh, just through our service and evangelism as we seek to engage the city around us. You know, we uh, we want to see our city redeemed. You know, we, we want to see gospel proclamation and restoration, restoration ministry occurring there, and we want to labor towards that. Um, we are committed to seeing redemption lived out in our culture. Again, this, this seems kind of abstract, but I think it's really, really important. and something that um, I think that you know, churches are beginning to see the need for, but there's a little bit of, of hesitancy towards it. Yeah, we we are surrounded by a culture that doesn't doesn't believe in God that is filled with worldliness. And if we're going to engage and we're going to challenge that, one, we need to take interest in the things that they're interested in, and two, we need to talk about the things that they're not interested in. So if they're interested in in uh, the environment, we need to give thoughtful discussion towards environment. If they're not interested in abortion or um, you know marriage. In a biblical sense, we still need to address those issues. But we need to be thoughtful. We need to be intentional. We need to be engaging. And a lot of churches kind of circle the wagons, I think, when it comes to this. Because they look at it individualistically. Well, you know, we're just one church. We can't really affect culture. We can only affect the people that come to us. And I think that this is a wrong understanding. Um... And part of it is because we don't give enough thought to being a multiplying church. This is one of the, I think, the biggest things that's going to 
help us, if we're truly going to see our culture transformed, if we're truly going to see our culture redeemed, we're not going to be able to do it as Redeemer Church in Champaign-Urbana. We're going to be able to do it as we are a multiplying church, as we are a church that plants other churches. Where one church cannot do it in a hundred years, a church planting church that's really intentional grows into being 400, 500 churches, and in a hundred years makes a huge difference. And if more churches embrace that same type of thing, then yeah, our culture can be changed. But we want to give thought to that. We want to be about that. And it's particularly important here because right across the street, you've got, we've got a, an institution that raises up future leaders to think certain ways, that have certain worldviews, that, that are going to be culture shapers. And if we can have an effect on them, then we can change the culture around us. I find it hard to, like, especially like at work, because like sometimes, you know, just an example, like working in surgery, you get going, whatever, I mean, some of the conversations can get pretty raunchy, you know, and it um, it's hard to step back, you know, and not participate because you want to be accepted, mm-hmm. you know. Then finally, you know, we're committed to seeing redemption lived out, again, among the nations. And we do this as we go on mission for God. You know, we, and again, you know, we, we have this great opportunity right here to, uh, to go on mission with other cultures, and all we have to do is step outside. We've got really unique opportunities, but we want to be a part of fulfilling the Great Commission. We want to make disciples of every nation. And so these are the areas, these in our minds are the distinct battle zones, the areas of focus that we need to give particular attention to if we're going to see our mission uh, be fulfilled. So, this is going to take a lot of intentionality. It's just something said, it's so easy to find yourself falling into the culture of what's acceptable. Mm -hmm. This is going to take an incredible amount of accountability intentionality and you know leadership by God alone to get us through this. Yeah. So it's gonna be us, you know, as a redemptive community fully depending upon his Holy Spirit to lead us. Mm-hmm. We have no hope without it. Yeah. yeah. But it was important, I think it was really important for us to draw this out. To give attention to this, because I mean, we can we can begin to like think very narrowly about our mission and what that looks like, and not give thought to who, give give thought to the where. And so we just wanted to make it explicit, and it's part of the way we've kind of set up structure. I mean, one of the reasons, one of the main reasons why I went to Logan first when God had called me. I mean, before God had even clearly affirmed that I was going to come here to plant this church, was because I knew that that Logan was gifted in family ministry. And I wanted to focus to be intentional on the home. So, you know, God in His grace provided Jim, who gives a lot of thought to this city, to our culture, to the community of believers, and and the nations. And and every one of us, you know, among the elders, and I pray among all of us, it seems to be the case, you are giving thought towards these areas. But we really want to flush those out. Um, and fulfill our mission in those particular ways. Um, so we've seen uh, we've seen the what, we've seen the how, we've seen the where. 
of Redeemer Church. Next week, Jim is going to present the why of Redeemer Church in our core values. What are those values that are going to drive and shape, that, that help us to articulate our vision and mission? Um, and so, you know, we're running out of time, but I, I kind of wanted to show a video that, um, that Serena Butler put together just because it gives a, a, a visual expression of, of what we've talked about today. And so we'll do that, and then we'll just close in prayer.
let's pray. Father God, we recognize that you are the giver of life, that you are uh, the God of all glory, Lord God Almighty. God, we desire to honor you. We desire to see your name be proclaimed, that you might be exalted, that you might be magnified through us. God, we thank you for uh, this vision, this mission, these particular goals that you have given to us. God, we pray that they might be um, honoring to you, that they might be of you and not at all man-centered, not at all focused on what we want to accomplish or what we like to give lip service to, but that you would would just give us the grace to, to carry it out, that you would give us strength that you would unite our hearts around these these statements. That they would not just be words on paper or up on a screen, but that they would uh, encapsulate our, our burden to see you known. God, I pray for everyone here that, that your grace would be at work, that these, um, these words which were spoken might find their... Uh, their place in in our minds as we interact with our our family, our friends, our neighbors, our co-workers, as we interact with one another, that our desire might be to uh, present your people as mature in Christ, to see the lives transformed to your glory through the proclamation of the gospel by the power of the Spirit to all people that we really true, truly would be a redemptive community of gospel-centered people. God, I pray particularly for our homes, for the homes of those who we will have the opportunity to minister to. We pray for our city, for our culture. We pray for our church. We pray for the nations. Oh God, make us bold. And may you be honored. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.